it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We got a big hour coming your way. Bottom of the hour, we're going to be joined by Andy McCarthy. He wants to break down this case and the impeachment inquiry and so much more. And of course, the indictment on uh, Hunter yesterday. Uh, could not have been good news for the president of the United States, who has not had a good week, as they have a, an impeachment inquiry, too. Democrats say, hey, this could be a big, this could be a really good thing for the president. I doubt it. So uh, also, Admiral James Stravitas is standing by uh, to break down. Well, listen, the U.N. is going to be having a special guest. President Zelensky is going to be here in fatigues, trying to tell the world there's good guys and bad guys, and I'm on the right side. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I like the idea of really going after the source of the problem. But if you don't change your asylum rules, they're going to keep coming. If you can get to our border and put one foot in the United States, you never get deported. Wow, getting worse. The border, seeing record numbers of migrants, the latest surge from Africa. Dems are joining Republicans in expressing, expressing the peril we all see. But at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, there is no plan to fix it. Number two. Do you think Kamala Harris is the best running mate for President Biden? That's President Biden's choice. I actually think it's a pretty simple question. I mean, I don't know what else I can say other than she you can would say be yes. an excellent running mate. Wow. New polls, Fox polls, show a trend away from Biden and to Trump. And it's causing panic on the left and giving hopes to an entire field of GOPers many of which beat also beat Biden head-to-head. Number one. That's one of about a dozen crimes that Hunter Biden's committed. And ironically, that's the <clears> one <throat> crime that he committed that you cannot tie Joe Biden to. Right, James We'll Cole. see what happens with the other 11 or so crimes that uh, the president's son's committed. All right, that is uh, James Comer. Hunter indicted on the one charge Joe had nothing to do with. Well, let's get to the truth. Either way, taxes, overseas business dealings, does it have anything to do with foreign policy? And, of course, everything seems to revolve around the big guy and Ukraine. So the one big thing is going to be debated heavily and be a huge campaign issue is support of the war in Ukraine. Admiral James Stavridis knows all about it. He's the 16th Supreme Allied Commander at NATO. Uh, now he's also his latest book is To Risk It All, Nine Conflicts and the Crucible of Decisions. Uh, he also was with the Carlisle Group. Admiral, welcome back. Good to be with you, Brian. Admiral, first off, what should Zelensky's message be to the General Assembly? I think you ought to hit three points really hard. Number one, this could happen to you. Um, he's talking to sovereign nations. There's almost 200 in the world. And uh, what happens when the next time a big nation like Russia decides it wants to invade a neighbor. So message number one, this could happen to you. Message number two, uh, we are fighting hard and we're not going away. And he'll appear, as you said in your read-in, Brian, he'll be there in his hunting gear. Mm. That guy put away his coat and tie Mm. 18 months ago, and he's not going to wear it again until uh, the Russians are kicked out of his country. And message number three is We need assistance. We are 
facing a massive neighbor next door. We're fighting courageously, but we need your assistance both politically here in this General Assembly and also materially. Uh, and he'll wrap into that, Brian, a very sincere thank you to the nations who have been helping him, United States at the top of the list. I think you, that's how this will play. Well, that'll be great. Uh, uh, that is great to let everybody know this isn't just about Ukraine. And we all know anybody who played game plans this out and you write books about it, they know they're going for the Baltics next. It might not be an invasion. Next thing you know, they infiltrate their election. They get a friendly uh, leader in that country and they influence another country. Yeah. And within 10 years, people say, what were they doing? Why did they let Ukraine go without a fight? And that's what a lot of these people have to think about. If you just want to come out against the war, game plan it out. Tell me how that makes America safer. Exactly right, Brian. And as I've said with you before, you know, we don't even have to imagine it. We don't have to kind of like make up a game plan. We've got one. It's called 100 years ago. This is almost exactly what happened uh, in the wake of World War I. We saw big nations like Germany and Italy uh, gradually start biting chunks out of their neighbors in Europe and include in that the Spanish Civil War. And Germany kept expanding. And, you know, we watched, did nothing, did nothing. How'd that turn out? Well, eventually, we had to stop them. And we did, because otherwise, uh, the Germans would have gone to England and then threatened the United States. Um, All of that is a reality. We need to stop it. And the way to stop it is to do it now with Ukrainians who are willing to fight and die. There's not a single U.S. soldier there. Right. So how would you characterize the counteroffensive now? Uh, there have been some breakthroughs, but there is real no, no air cover, and they don't have the proper demining equipment to move at a quick pace. But what has changed over the last month? They have made some incremental gains in the center of the southern flank. I would say that compared to where they hoped to be right now, they're perhaps uh, 40%, maybe 30% of where they want to be. They have work to do. And you've put your finger on it. The big challenge for them is lack of air cover. Um, That's being rectified. We are bringing the F-16 online. Finally, there's agreement across the alliance about doing so. The pilots are in training. I'm talking a very senior active duty Air Force who are part of that training program, Brian. They're very encouraged by what they're seeing. But will it get there in time for this offensive? No. So the bottom line is um, I think they've done reasonably well, given the tools they have at their disposal. They've still got two months to try and crack toward the Black Sea. Let's give them a little more time and see how it comes out. Otherwise, it'll go into a winter campaign, but that's when the F-16s will arrive Uh, on the battlefield. The problem is there are no tanks. I asked General Jack Keene that about two hours ago. Uh, We have promised something, but we have yet to deliver. Cut 41. This is a request that was made last year. It's one of the incremental decisions the administration has made, and the, our audience has seen this played out, where they, they've made a request, and it's delayed for months, in, in this case, you know, for well, well over a year. For the life of me, I don't know why only 31. We could have given them a couple of hundred tanks. The Marines aren't using those. Right. We have tanks in storage, and they're not arriving an, until the fall of the year, and it's only 31. We have breaching equipment that they need very desperately to be able to get through these defenses. This is engineer designed equipment to get through minefields and other obstacles. They got a very small portion of what they needed to do that, but yet that is the major impediment on the battlefield. 
So, you know, they evidently are going to start giving the 31 tanks this month. Yeah. Don't, yeah, it's, it's too little too late, frankly. Uh, we can still recover this thing. Uh, even within the next several months, we can make some real progress, but it's going to require um, some energy behind this logistics flow. And Jack Keane, as usual, has it exactly right. The key word there in his entire cut was incremental. This is where the administration has failed to get the material there in sufficient time. We're always just a little bit behind. But let me give you two things that are going well, just worth noting. Number one, the Ukrainians are smashing the Russians at sea. And I know that, Brian, because I'm an admiral and I follow what happens on the Black Sea. Um, Two more uh, significant Russian warships severely damaged by Ukrainian attacks. That's going well. And then secondly, we're seeing the Ukrainians use more and more drones effectively to include strikes back into Russia itself. Those are two things that are going quite well on the air side and the sea side. We need to help them get the game up uh, on the ground side to consummate this offensive. What, what is your take on seeing North Korea President Kim Jong-un in <laughs> Siberia, sorry, Siberia with Vladimir Putin? Uh, Unsurprised. I mean, he's Kim Jong-un, and he's unpredictable. He's slightly unstable. Uh, And I am unsurprised by him showing up there in his ridiculous armored train that goes 37 miles an hour. I mean, what museum did they get that thing out of? And frankly, he has got not a huge amount that's really going to turn the tide of this war. He's got a bunch of artillery shells. Uh, He's got some capability in tanks. I don't see it as a big move other than it gives Kim Jong-un the chance to say, look at me. I'm a global figure. Let's close with this, Brian. How pathetic is it that when the United States looks around at its allies, we're looking at Europe, population 500 million, 25 percent of the world's GDP. We're looking at Japan and South Korea, 200 million people, uh, 10% of the world's GDP. When Putin looks for an ally, he's looking at this broken little country of only 25 million people, all of whom are about five feet tall because they don't get enough to eat. And all the money in that country goes into creating some weapon systems. It's a pathetic place. Kim Jong-un is a pathetic figure, and Vladimir Putin is pathetic if he turns to a nation like that as a principal ally. And my last question, is is Ukraine manufacturing their own drones? Oh, yes, and doing a damn good job. And by the way, we started by getting floods of drones in. The Ukrainians, no surprise, reverse engineered them, figured out how to make them, and are producing them indigenously. Um, I think the Ukrainians are going to come out of this war as a battle-hardened force not only on the ground, but very capable both at sea mm. and in the air using these drone forces. And they're not going to stop fighting in the winter this time. Uh, they said that was no, a mistake. No. Yep. No, nope. yep. all that does is give Putin and his clowns a chance to rearm and rest. I think they'll right. press forward, and, and we should be behind that. Uh, Admiral, it's time to get to your five jobs, your five other jobs. I appreciate <laughs> the quality time. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Great to see you. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I'll come back with some calls in a moment. You also write me, BrianKillMe.com. Andy McCarthy breaks down the indictment of Hunter Biden and what else could be coming and why he's lukewarm on the impeachment inquiry. 
This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. That was an easy charge. Uh, You've heard the IRS whistleblowers testify in the Oversight Committee as to all the tax evasion crimes. According to the whistleblowers, Weiss, when he was the U.S. Attorney, let the statute of limitations expire on some of the tax crimes, but not all the tax crimes. So I'm still holding out hope that Weiss does the right thing. So James Comer made it clear, Democrats, you're not going to beat me to the punch here. I'm telling you, Joe had nothing to do with this. That's not the point. The point is not to take an ex-addict who made some horrendous decisions in his life, let alone to do crack, to get them 25 years in prison. I don't think anybody really wants Hunter Biden in prison. I don't. I don't. I have no interest in that. The crazy thing is, this guy is so reckless and he also is got the worst judgment. You realize in his book, he writes about this gun and the incident. He talks about his crack use. Why would you, fresh off getting cover from all the bureaucratic agencies in our country on your laptop, why would you go and do a book and a book tour from Jimmy Kimmel to ABC and, and get these questions, because we're using your answers, and so is Comer. Now their big push is to get James Biden's bank accounts, because where is this money? James Biden is in business with his nephew. Tony Bobulinski was dealing with James Biden, where he got the line from James Biden. You know, what about don't ever mention my brother? He goes, you know, he's the big guy. He goes, why, you know, why does that matter? He goes, If something happens, wouldn't this destroy his chances of becoming president? He said, plausible deniability. So you add that to what we're seeing with Dave Ignatius, Joe Scarborough saying everybody thinks Joe's too old. And then you watch what was happening with Jake Tapper uh, when it came to asking Jamie Raskin about number two Kamala Harris because they know. The problem is not just Joe. He can't be Kamala. They got two problems. And clearly somebody's meeting behind the scenes. Cut 21. Do you think Kamala Harris <laughs> is the best running mate for President Biden? That's President Biden's choice. And I think she's an excellent running mate uh, for President Biden. Um, <clears throat> you know, I don't know what more needs to be said about that. I actually think it's a pretty <clears throat> simple question. Do you think Kamala Harris is the best running mate for President Biden? Yes or no? 
I mean, I don't know what else I can say other than she you would say be yes. an excellent running mate and an excellent vice president. Um, I don't know whether President Biden has named his uh, running mate. We're going to what? a convention uh, next summer. It's uh, you know, a year away from now. Um, and we're going to go through that process. What? What? Can you imagine doing interviews and with Bill Clinton and Bill Clinton, you know, Democrats going, yeah, I don't know if Al Gore would be a good running mate. Yeah, I'm not sure if Dick Cheney's coming back. He's already said they're running together. They already announced it. We're going to wait for the convention. That on top of what we heard yesterday. You know, you might want to, Eric, if you have yesterday's Nancy Pelosi. But in the meantime, Jessica Tarlov, who's very tapped in, Democrat, does a great job on the five. You know, it's no longer going to bat for Joe Biden. It's the party abandoning Joe Biden. I think, you know, we, I could be wrong, but it seems clear. Cut 22. Obviously, some memo went out uh, that there should be a lot of op-eds and a lot of reporting this week um, about the concerns <laughs> over Joe Biden's age. And I will point out, you know, Nancy Pelosi was interviewed yesterday about it. Hillary Clinton was interviewed this morning about it. Jamie Raskin was interviewed about it this afternoon. Hillary Clinton was the only one who gave a full throttle defense of the entirety of the Biden-Harris ticket. And that is something that certainly is uh, sending a bit of a smoke signal up, at least to me as an analyst, saying what's going on. Jamie Raskin and Nancy Pelosi do know how to answer a straightforward question. Why did they not defend Vice President Harris in the way that you would expect? It's nuts. I, I love it. It's fascinating because they don't know what to do. I mean, you watch it with Margaret Brennan over the weekend, talk about abortion. Did you watch with Margaret uh, uh, with Margaret Brennan over the weekend, talk about the border? She's got no answers and no interest. You know, sometimes you come back from vacation, no matter what your job is, and you think, what did I miss? And you see people talking about incidents. And you go, whoa, 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 wait a second. What, what day was that? When I see Kamala Harris, I know she knows the issue, but she doesn't know the intricacies of the issue and certainly doesn't know how to answer. And what Jessica was referring to was the night before in a show you don't watch with Anderson Cooper. This is what Nancy Pelosi said. Is Vice President Kamala Harris the best running mate for this president? He thinks so. And that's what matters. And by the way, she's very politically astute. I don't think people give her enough credit. People shouldn't underestimate what Kamala Harris brings to the table. Do you think she is the the best (laughs) running mate, though? She's the vice president of the United States. So people say to me, well, why isn't she doing this or that? I said, because she's the vice president. That's the job description. You don't do that much. This might be my favorite, favorite soundbite ever. Ever. It, the best is, and it's sad because it's radio, Anderson Cooper's face because his head gets lower and lower as if he starts to giggle and say, what? I just gave you the easiest question in the world. And you are saying, I won't answer it, which means you're answering it, that she's terrible. You need somebody that's going to reassure the American public that they could take over for a very old Joe Biden. And she's not it. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. That's one of about a dozen crimes that Hunter Biden's committed. And ironically, that's the one crime that he committed that you cannot tie Joe Biden into. 
So we'll see what happens with the other 11 or so crimes that uh, the president's son's committed. James Comer trying to put it all in perspective as Democrats say, see, the Justice Department is treating everybody equal. I try to cheap, uh, treat all our legal experts equal, Jonathan Charlie and Andy McCarthy. And I think you'll do you, do you think I treat everybody equal, Andy? Do you feel as though you're getting the short end of the stick? I think, Brian, it's like Animal Farm. Everybody's equal, but some are more equal than others. I understand. So you are more equal than others. Uh, Andy, your thoughts about yesterday's charge? Well, I think that for all the people saying, you know, see, we treat everyone equally, we have to keep in perspective as they try to rewrite history right before our eyes that this is the same prosecutor who seven weeks ago tried to make this case disappear. And the only reason we're here is because a federal judge asked some common sense questions at a plea proceeding that the prosecutor couldn't answer because he was doing precisely what uh, he didn't want to be seen to be doing, which is politicizing the case. He tried to make even the gun charge, which is a slam dunk that should have been indicted five years ago. He tried to disappear that under a diversion agreement that was not for a case that was not qualified for diversion under Justice Department rules, longstanding Justice Department rules, uh, and a diversion agreement in which he tried to hide one of the most sweeping immunity terms that you can imagine because he was trying to not put it into the plea agreement that he had on the tax charges, figuring that the judge didn't have to sign off on the diversion agreement, so that's where he would hide the uh, hide the immunity term. So. No, this is not a case that's being treated like every other case. And J- and Jamie Comer is quite right to observe that, uh, you know, the only thing that's been charged here is the one single thing that he had that he could charge Hunter Biden with in which Joe Biden is not implicated. So Abby Lowell, so there are other charges that could be coming. When do you think, do you have any sense of the timing if they think that, you know, these overseas business deals uh, and the countries have been with Kazakhstan and Romania and the mayor's, uh, the mayor of Moscow's uh, wife and uh, the Chinese energy company in Ukraine and the Prisma? And did he pay taxes, number one? And number two, was he registered as a foreign business agent uh, like Paul Manafort and ended up in solitary confinement? When do we find out if that bothers this prosecutor? Well, we may never find out, and the reason for that, Brian, is, you know, I I, I hate to be a broken record on this, but the statute of limitations on tax charges is six years, and on every other federal crime that's relevant is five years. So now in 2023, he's never indicted the case. Let's just take the the Yelena Baterina $3.5 million transaction. Moscow mayor's wife. Right. that was in 2014, you know, that's been time barred for, you know, if you were thinking about it for foreign agent, uh, you know, FARA purposes, the statute of limitations on that ran in 2018. Um, you know, at the way he, the way we now, the way we're now structured, the way Weiss has dawdled on this, everything that's wow. a five-year offense that's older than 2018 is gone. Everything that's a tax offense that's older than 2017 is gone. So all these things that we're talking about, the Kazakhstan stuff, which I took a a close look at uh, yesterday, is basically 2015, 2016. Um, Just to make it, like, very simple for people, I've said all along, 
I think Weiss's job here, even though he's called prosecutor, was to protect Joe Biden and in particular to make the case with respect to Biden disappear. And now the way he's handled the case, everything that's in the three most important years, 2014, 15 and 16, when Biden was vice president and they were trading on his political influence, it's all gone. All right. So. So there's an investigation to find out about, uh, you know, what he was up to with James Comer, right? I mean, if you're uh, these 20 shell companies that we already know about, we probably know about more. That's a separate track from David Weiss. Comer doesn't care about 2014 and 2016 and statute of limitations on taxes, correct? Totally right. The the only game in town, I think, is the House investigations. It's the only way that you'll get political accountability, and you're entirely right. The statute of limitations does not affect the congressional investigation because what they're looking at is something that's very different, uh, which is whether the national security and the government policies of the United States have been compromised, which is something that is not, you know, the statute of limitations is completely irrelevant to. If, the, if for example, the Chinese have bought the Bidens, including the president, um, it really doesn't make a difference whether there's a five or six year statute of limitations, right? Exactly. Um, right. All right. So I got it. So this is Jamie Comer's plan. Now he says, I'm going to look for bank accounts of James Biden. Obviously the freedom of information act to get the pseudo name, his interactions with the national archives has 5,000 emails with uh, Hunter mysteriously CC'd on some of them. Well, it's been it since 2022. The request was in still nothing. Having said that, now they say their plan is to get to James Biden's uh, bank accounts. Will they be successful? How long can they hold out? Well, you know, they can, you can run the clock on a lot of stuff just by objecting and going to court. And the question is going to be, are they going to be like the January 6th committee or not? Remember, the January 6th committee, when – Steve Bannon didn't cooperate or Peter Navarro didn't cooperate. They didn't do what Congress usually does and run into court and get the guy's legal claims invalidated and then hold the guy in contempt. They went right to prosecution. They held him in contempt and they went right to the Justice Department and got them to indict. The problem, of course, they have here is the Justice Department is going to be one of the Biden administration agencies that's stonewalling them. So they're not going to get any cooperation. They'll probably have to go the judicial route, and they'll be successful if they stay at it. But uh, I don't want to raise anyone's expectations because it takes a long time to litigate this stuff. We've seen that again and again. So uh, what changes – and I read your column. I quoted it probably all day yesterday when you said with the inquiry, the impeachment inquiry, not much changes because it still stays in committee, correct? Right. They they don't have – What you would have normally, Brian, would be you would enact an impeachment committee resolution to open a to open a formal impeachment inquiry. And the importance of that is it would not only designate which committee was conducting the impeachment investigation. Sometimes it's the Judiciary Committee. It could be another committee or they can have a special impeachment committee. But one way or the other, that's what the resolution usually does. And the important thing about the resolution is it it defines the jurisdiction of the committee, including its subpoena power. So wow. they don't have that now. They have to rely on the – well, and this is not the worst thing in the world. I mean, the Oversight Committee has very broad jurisdiction to issue subpoenas. So does the Judiciary Committee, so does the Ways and Means Committee. So they shouldn't really be much 
obstructed by the fact that they're not formally uh, an impeachment inquiry, even if they're calling it that. Um, I, I think the main thing is political. You know, when when somebody is seen as obstructing an impeachment inquiry, that's in the public consciousness. I think that's more serious than obstructing one of these other inquiries. But legally speaking, you know, a congressional subpoena is a congressional subpoena. All right. So help me here. Eric Sherwin was the money man. He was the guy who told Joe to pay Hunter and your dad owes you money here. We got to pay you taxes right. now. Obviously didn't do a great job when it came to paying taxes. Evidently in May or in the spring, he, he did come forward and talk. The Republican says he didn't talk and the Democrat said he did. At which time he says he didn't know that Joe was getting any payments. He didn't say definitively. I know for a fact he says, you know, I didn't really see that happening, even though he's been he was at the he was met with the vice president uh, dozens of times over the course of his eight years in office. There evidently is a falling out between them. Why would Sherwin not be on the heels of Devin Archer to get him in front of that committee? And what about the yes. disp- this, the evidently they came in, but no one took notes. Yeah, well, be- because they have to, um, you know, if they want to get somebody to quickly agree to sit down for an interview, then they have to agree to limitations on the interview. So it's often like I won't I won't be under oath. I won't take notes. I can have my lawyer. I won't talk about what I don't want to talk about uh, because for exactly the same reason that we just discussed. It, if you have to go the judicial route and go into court and enforce your subpoenas, that takes time. And these guys feel like they don't have time, which is understandable. And here's a big thing, Brian, that's different between like a federal prosecutor doing an investigation and a congressional committee. If I was a prosecutor and someone like Sherwin was important to my investigation, I would subpoena all the documents and I would prosecute anybody who obstructed me from getting the documents before I sat down with him. And then I wouldn't let him give me a cock and bull story. I would walk him through the documents and tell, you know, tell me what this is, tell me what this is, tell me what this is. But if you don't have the documents and you make an agreement with him that there are some things he doesn't have to discuss, um, then it, it becomes very easy for him to play games with you. So, of course, the Democrats come out of that and say he's cooperating, and the Republicans are like, we're not getting anything out of him. And the, probably the thing is he did show up and answer some questions, which allows the Democrats to say what they say, but the Republicans didn't get to conduct an effective interrogation because you would want to have all the bank records to, to walk them through them uh, as you interviewed them. I want you to hear what Cash Patel said about the gun charge. He says it might not be a dead end. Cut 16. There is a tie directly to the Biden family with this gun charge. You have what we call a precipient witness, the witness that shows Hunter Biden possessed the firearm in this case. That mm-hmm. witness is Haley Biden, the former wife of Bo Biden, who's now deceased and carried on a relationship later with Hunter Biden. That means she's been in the grand jury. She's been sharing family information, not just about the gun charge, but about the narcotics addiction that Hunter Biden had surrounding the gun charge. And she's going to have to testify in federal court should Hunter Biden not wrap this up in a plea deal. So the Bidens are coming in, but I do agree there's a two-tier system of justice here at play. Any indigent client I represent as a public defender, if they possess the gun, they were charged overnight, not five years down the road. What do you think? Could, Could this go to trial and and would Haley be asked to come in? I think Cash is wrong about the grand jury. Um, in federal grand jury proceedings, you're allowed to proceed by um, hearsay. 
so you don't have to call the, the direct witnesses. And Haley and Hunter were both interviewed by the police when the gun was lost. So they could have just used the statements that they gave to the to the police at that time. Um, my sense is that they have, you know, they have police witnesses who could testify to that. They could subpoena and call her as a witness. Um, you know, that's a that's a down the road issue. I do think that the the reason that Weiss indicted that count, you know, he didn't he he didn't just leave it at uh, that the guy told lies in order to get the gun, he charged him with also illegally possessing the gun for 11 days. That does allow him to get into at the trial all of the ways that they mishandled the gun. Um, and I, I think that's actually to ratchet up pressure on Hunter to plead guilty, but we'll you know, we'll have to see how that plays out. Yeah, we'll have to see, uh, see where this goes uh, and see if both sides just get dug in. Already a lot's been exposed that he was not didn't tell everybody. He said, I have now no idea about my son's overseas business dealings. Nobody believes that anymore. And he says, well, I wasn't involved at all, but yet he's meeting with them on the phone with them. So no one believes that at all. And I was struck by the amount of polls that seem to be coming around to the facts that I believe they're true, that Joe knew all about it and probably took and, and I believe Tony Bobulinski took part in it. A total of 28 percent of voters will, quote, not very confident, and 22% were not at all confident that the DOJ probe into the first son's alleged tax and gun crimes were being handled in a fair and unbiased manner. That's more than Democrats and Republicans. That's just logic. You agree? I totally agree. And, I, you know, one of my hesitancies, Brian, about the, uh, you know, getting into this whole thing about whether it's now an impeachment inquiry or not, I thought that Comer in particular – was making a lot of headway in the last eight months. I mean, eight months ago, nobody paid any attention to this. I saw polling last week that said over 60% of people now believe that Joe is up to his eyeballs in the in the family business, and over 40% of people think he committed a crime. So obviously, this investigation's making headway, and even if the press wants it to go away and the Democrats want it to go away, the public, I don't think, is going to allow it to go away. I hear you. Thanks so much. Uh, Andy McCarthy, great work. Thanks so much. Uh, unfortunately, we still have four Trump cases to go through, and maybe six if you count the civil trial, and we don't know endless amount of Hunter investigation. So do make sure you pick up your phone, even if it says yeah. uh, unknown caller. Yeah, my, my meter is running, Brian. Uh, it's going to be a huge bill in 2023, <laughs> much bigger than 2022. Thanks so much, Andy. Back in a moment. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmeade coming up. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. They love their son, and they're not going to hide their son, and they never have. And their their kids and their grandkids are always invited to, to events and uh, White House gatherings. They go on trips together. That is not unusual, and there's no exceptions for, for anyone. They treat all their kids and their grandkids the same. Well, I mean, in, in, in fairness, I mean, first of all, they don't necessarily treat all their grandkids the same. We do. There was one that they did not acknowledge for a long time. We don't have to get into it here uh, this morning, but I just want to put that put that out there. Wow, that was uh, MSNBC. No, it was CNN. So, um, oh, Casey. Hunt. Yeah, now Casey Hunt's over there. But it was Michael Larosa. He's like worked with the Biden family. 
But I mean, what a putz to be like. They love all of their family unequivocally. They invite everyone um, except a little like stripper issue they had with Hunter. But at least she called them out. So that was very refreshing to me. My ears really right. perked up when I heard that. I mean, I saw uh, Martha, not Martha, Laura go do through an anchor mm-hmm. on a full screen. I'm like, oh, why would she be showing so much CNN? It showed every untruth, big and small, that Joe Biden has said. And I'm saying to myself, something's going on. Yeah. I mean, no, Kamala Harris can't get a thumbs up from Nancy Pelosi and Jamie Raskin. He's too old, Joe Scarborough. He's too old, Dave Ignatius. What is going on? After 2022, the midterms, I think he's just going to glide to the nomination. By the way, they're still having huge problems with New Hampshire. New Hampshire yeah. will not back off. So they can't even set up their schedule because New Hampshire saying saying, whatever you do, we're coming before you. Yes, the new news relentless with that. But to be fair, like regard, like ignoring his like sh- like past, Mark Halperin wrote about this months ago that he was hearing rumblings that Democrats are not happy with Biden. They're going to try to like push him out. This that was I think in the spring or right. early summer. Listen to what he said yesterday. Cut nineteen. Our democracy is under attack, and we got to fight for it. I taught at the University of Pennsylvania for four years, and I used to teach political theory. And folks, you always hear every generation has to fight for democracy. Okay. Never happened. He never taught. He had that office where he kept those classified documents. Everybody knows he didn't talk. He would make a couple of appearances and did something on a book tour. Now everybody is fact-checking him. He also said he practically grew up in synagogues. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? It's just sad. It's like elder abuse at this point. Right. But, I mean, why even say it? It's inconsequential. I guess he wants to act like uh, the Jewish people should vote for me. You're a line dog. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Uh, Andy Card, White House Chief of Staff for both Bushes, will be with us shortly. Bottom of the hour, Trace Gallagher in studio. You know he's hosting uh, out in Los Angeles every single night, 8 o'clock local, 11 o'clock. He is live uh, Eastern time, so uh, he's going to be with us too. He's going to be joining me on One Nation. We also have some news I want to share with you. Uh, Teddy and Booker T is coming out November 7th. How two American icons blazed a path for racial equality. Uh, and we have a special coming out, but now tickets. I'm going to bring this whole thing on stage, how America got great, talking about my history books, giving everyone a fun look on stage. It is, we got a lot. Uh, so we got great um, uh, tickets are now available. They're on my site uh, as of one, when, like an hour ago, if that. Um, and we're going to be in New Jersey on Thursday. Uh, we're going to be on Thursday in Red Bank, New Jersey. Uh, that's going to be... Let me just get all these dates down here. It's going to be November 9th at the Vogel. Huntsville, Alabama in uh, Martin C. Smith Center. That'll be November 18th. Montgomery, November 19th. And then Pittsburgh, December 15th. Just go to BrianKillMe.com and hope to see you in person. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I like the idea of really going after the source of the problem. But if you don't change your asylum rules, they're going to keep coming. If you can get to our border and put one foot in the United States, you never get deported. 
Uh, that is Lindsey Graham getting worse. The border is seeing record numbers again with the latest surge from Africa. Dems are joining Republicans in expressing uh, peril and worry. But no one is home at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue to act. Number two. Do you think Kamala Harris is the best running mate for President Biden? That's President Biden's choice. I actually think it's a pretty simple question. I mean, I don't know what else I can say other than she you can would say be yes. an excellent running mate. Jamie Raskin, new polls, Fox polls show a trend away from Biden and to Trump and to three other Republicans beat Biden head to head. It is causing panic on the left. Could they be looking to rotate Joe and Kamala out? Number one. That's one of about a dozen crimes that Hunter Biden's committed. And ironically, that's the one crime that he committed that you cannot tie Joe Biden into. We'll see what happens with the other 11 or so crimes that... uh, the president's son's committed. Hunter indicted on one charge Joe had nothing to do with, and that's guns. Oh, let's get to the truth on these taxes, overseas business dealings, and see how much went, if anything, to the big guy. Joining me now is Andy Card. Andy, uh, welcome back. Great to hear from you. Great to be with you, Brian. Thanks for having me on. So, uh, you know, everyone thinks of you when we talk about organizing a White House and selfless service. It was never about you, but you always knew the president, where he would be, advice on what he should say. And I can't help but notice on the outside, no one seems to be helping Joe Biden even get off stage. Have you noticed from a chief of staff perspective, there seems to be a lack of execution? You know, I always have great empathy for the White House, especially the White House chief of staff. And I think Jeff Zeitz is doing a pretty good job, actually, of managing the people there. I think the challenge is the leadership that comes from the literally the Oval Office and from the number two slot, the, the vice president. So I, I do worry that um, there's not as much follow through <clears throat> as I think there should be from the leadership. And I'm not talking about the staff. I'm talking about literally the president and the vice president to recognize the challenges, acknowledge the problem, and recognize the various solutions and try to minimize the number of unintended consequences. You know, we've got, we still have inflation challenges in the country, but we've got a foreign policy that is really struggling to find its footing. And I think that there's great concern over what's happening between China and Taiwan, obviously North Korea. We've got Russia and Ukraine. We've got the Romanians worried about what could be happening by the Russians happening on their territory. The NATO allies are together, but they need America's leadership. And so I worry about the nature of our standing in the world at the same time that our our democracy is a little more tarnished than it should be. So I call on all of those candidates for president to think about polishing that uh, democracy rather than tarnishing it. I mean, you guys had um, uh, an investigation ongoing that was more than distracting with uh, Scooter Libby and Karl Rove under investigation and you know, the president was constantly, I imagine, on your things to do list, things to handle list, questions you knew if you had a press conference. The president would be getting questions on this. And that's what's beginning to happen in, in, a, in a big way with uh, the president's son, as well as maybe ties to the president. There's an impeachment inquiry along with an indictment in one week. And then the president continues to say some things that I think are a little weird about not being in control. Like, listen to uh, listen to this. Cut 20. 
Let me close with this. And there's a lot more I know we could talk about. I wish I had a chance to take all your questions, but I'm going to get in real trouble if I do that. You keep saying that. When does the president get in trouble? You know, I ache for the president right now. I'm, I'm not a big Biden fan, but I ache for him. This can't be comfortable. And the whole world is watching as he's dealing with this internal family problem that could fall out into lots of consequences that are unintended. But uh, we've got to learn from it. But with regard to policy, I think everyone who is running for president should be thinking about who who would they be looking to right now to advise them, especially in the foreign policy aspects. And I don't know whether the Republican candidates, and I'm not even sure the the Democratic candidates, are are getting the best advice from people who I would go to. George W. Bush had the benefit of Condoleezza Rice being very involved in not only the campaign, but getting ready to be very involved as the national security advisor and then the secretary of state. And we had Colin Powell he could talk to. We had Richard Haas he could talk to. We had Bill Burns he could talk to. James A. Baker III gave unbelievably wise counsel for a lot of people who are running for president in his service. So I just don't know if uh, anyone is reaching out to these wise former superstars that understood the world and would help us manage our way through the challenges that we have today. So uh, you know how important it is to communicate when you're at war. You guys had Iraq and Afghanistan and 9-11 and constantly the president would be giving addresses like this is why we're here. This is what we're doing. And we're seeing a, a conflict in Ukraine that just needs funding, not blood and uh, and sweat and tears and deployments. The president does not feel compelled, nor does the secretary of defense. You had a well-spoken Donald Rumsfeld could command a room. There's nobody out there explaining to the American people why it matters. And I think it's going to cost them a lot of support. I think it already is. Do you find the same thing? I I agree with you. And and that's why I would say, why aren't people talking to Condoleezza Rice? Get her wise counsel. Uh, Unfortunately, Colin Powell is no longer with us, so we can't go to him. But they they were very valuable. And and Jim Baker, there's probably the greatest chief of staff in the history of the country, who was also Secretary of the Treasury, Secretary of State, James A. Baker III, very, very wise. I hope he, some people are reaching out to him. And, you know, where are the, in the Democratic side, where are the Warren Christophers and and Leon Panettas? And, and on the Republican side, we've got Bob Gates. But those are people that I would be looking to right now if I were running for president. If I were the sitting president, I would be comfortable reaching out to them. I know Henry Kissinger used to come by every once in a while and talk to the president, and it was always very valuable because he had a different perspective. Absolutely. Um, so the president on 9-11 was in Alaska, and essentially the word came out when asked, you know, why are you out of the country on 9-11? Vietnam's important. The alliance is, is valuable. But is it more valuable than being there 22 years later? And the retort was essentially this. 23, 1963, you know, 23 years, 22 years later after uh, Pearl Harbor, we weren't still making a big deal of it. What's your reaction to that, Andy Card? Well, you know, I, I, I know that he was overseas on a very important mission, and, and I understand stopping in Alaska. I was glad the president acknowledged that he was in Alaska <laughs> and, and not at one of the venues where we lost so many on 9-11. 
But I, I'm going to give him a pass on this one. I think that he was completing a long trip in a tough me- series of meetings. He did at least pay tribute to it. Uh, I, gave, I was giving a speech in Utica, New York. I try to do something on 9-11 all the time. I promise never to forget, and I want to be a guilty conscience to anybody who thinks they can forget. And But, uh, you know, I miss the leadership that we had from the Republican Party with regard to 9-11. And let's not forget that on nine, when 9-11 happened, George W. Bush came into office very with a controversial result. The Supreme Court basically had to decide that he would be the president. And on 9-11, he rallied the entire country. Partisanship disappeared. We gathered together. Institutions were changed. The Department of Homeland Security was created. The FBI changed its mission from being investigation to being protecting America and preventing the next attack. And our intelligence community got a wake-up call when they got hit by two-by-fours saying, you've got to communicate with each other and we've got to focus on protecting the country. And that was leadership that came from George W. Bush. It made a huge difference and it's still needed today. And I'm glad that the institutions are in place so that we can be safer than we were in 2000. Yep. Um, so here is uh, one of the remarks uh, that uh, the vice president made, excuse me, the president made, uh, and it turned out not to be accurate. Cut 20, 28. I join you on this solemn day to renew our sacred vow. Never forget. Never forget. We never forget. Each of us Each of those precious lives stolen too soon when evil attacked. Ground Zero in New York, and I remember standing there the next day and looking at the building. I felt like I was looking through the gates of hell. It's not true. Yeah, well, he he embellished his response to the attack kind of real time, and that's unfortunate. But he's right to say, never forget. And I'm going to give him credit for saying, never forget. Uh, Obviously, he deserves a ding for embellishing uh, his role on the day following. Uh, But look, anybody who lived through that time can't forget it. And it's very important that the younger generation understand the magnitude of the challenge and the way we rallied to meet the challenge. First responders ran towards the disaster and helped save lives, and many of them gave their lives in that process. Thousands of other people rushed to help America, and lots of people joined the military, the intelligence services, and many of them made huge sacrifices. And it's important that we remember all of that. The victims on 9-11, those who were first responders and became victims, those who were first responders and helped save people, and then all the people that said, I'm going to sign up and join the military. I'm going to join the intelligence services. I'm going to join the federal government and the institutions that are so important to keep our democracy alive. And that's what we celebrate. So I'm not going to get into complaining about how people are – remembering their experiences. I think it's important never to forget the consequences that day and the need for us to come together and the value of having America lead the world. And George W. Bush did a tremendous job of building a global coalition to help 
win the war on terror, and we probably will never have terrorism completely eliminated. But thank God we've been safer mm. than we thought we would be in the years following 9-11. So uh, you still in touch with uh, Bush 43? I keep in touch with him. We usually do it by text message. He's very efficient. He does not waste <laughs> zeros and ones. So, But he's very responsive, and I'm responsive to him when he reaches out to me. And uh, I have great respect for him and great appreciation for the leadership he gave. And I obviously was honored to serve uh, President Reagan, mm-hmm. President George H.W. Bush, and but most significantly George W. Bush. Andy, I was shocked today. Yesterday, when Nancy Pelosi said, well, the vice president really doesn't do much. That wasn't the case with uh, Dick Cheney. I mean, and that wasn't the case with Mike Pence. And I don't know where that came from. Didn't the vice president's role really change in modern America? More, more, Much more active? Yes, probably the the most relevant vice president was George H. W. Bush to Ronald Reagan, yeah. and he he did a phenomenal job helping President Reagan. And they had been political adversaries; they ran against each other. Uh, Dick Cheney was tremendous help to me. His office was right next to my office in the West Wing, and I can't tell you how grateful I was to have him so close to me. He had great empathy for me because he'd been chief of staff to a president. So, and and the leadership team that George W. Bush put together was remarkable, uh, starting with Condi Rice and Colin Powell and and obviously Dick Cheney. But it was a remarkable leadership team, considering that the president, George W. Bush, didn't have a lot of foreign policy experience. But he certainly listened well, learned from wise people who had the courage to speak truth to power, and made some brutally difficult decisions, many of them which helped to create a climate of safety, not just for the United States, but for the world. And I'm very grateful to his leadership. Andy, uh, Andy Cards, always great to hear from you. I'm glad you're doing so well. Thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Good to hear you on the radio. Yeah, absolutely. And meanwhile, nobody listening, especially in WABC here in New York, needs to be reminded no one will ever forget. Uh, And they do a great job here. In fact, when you come home after 9-11 and you get on a train in the afternoon, it is full of men and women in uniform. And that just shows they still go in and they still remember and they make sure to go into formation. And we're going to be up on 25 years soon. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, we are back. Uh, let me take a quick call and get to them. And then bottom of the hour, then Trace Gallagher joins us. Tom in Myrtle Beach. Hey, Tom. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for taking my call. No problem. What's on your mind? Yeah, I came in late on the uh, – I just got into the vehicle and turned on the radio. There you are, and I'm your last guest. I am – I know my frustration is, is just like all other Americans, uh, most Americans. I'm sure most Republican voters. I'm, I'm so tired – of people giving Joe Biden a pass on his gas, his incapacity to lead well, his you know his and to stay focused, you know it's that that's one thing that I'm worried about, and I'm also feeling that you know the the uh, both sides, uh, Republican and Democrat, 
I, we are no longer, I, in my opinion, we are no longer a uh, a government of the people, for the people, by the people. I just feel that we are a massive separation, huge division between government, and they're looking more of it as a job rather than serving the people. I hear you. That's why you keep it for 60 years. It's not like you're uh, in a soup kitchen. Uh, you're there for power and influence. Uh, is it power and influence for the people you represent? If there was, so you can think about Nancy Pelosi. You think they would have that crime if she cared about San Francisco? Think about Chuck Schumer. You think we'd be overrun with legal immigrants if he really cared about New York? Absolutely not. In fact, people should be ticked at him by thinking, hey, I'm using my majority status to think New York only. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. There is a tie directly to the Biden family with this gun charge. You have what we call a precipient witness, the witness that shows Hunter Biden possessed the firearm in this case. That witness is Haley Biden, the former wife of Beau Biden, who's now deceased and carried on a relationship later with Hunter Biden. That means she's been in the grand jury. She's been sharing family information, not just about the gun charge, but about the narcotics addiction that Hunter Biden had surrounding the gun charge. And she's going to have to testify in federal court should Hunter Biden not wrap this up in a plea deal. So the Bidens are coming in. But I do agree there's a two-tier system of justice here at play. Any indigent client I represent as a public defender, if they possess the gun, they were charged overnight, not five years down the road. And that is Cash Patel. He's on the Trump team. Obviously, he's going to go back if Trump wins here in studio, fresh off a trip from Los Angeles. Right, Trace? Or Los Angeles, yes. Yes, uh, anchor of Fox News at night. You watch it every night at 11 o'clock Eastern time. Trace does it a lot earlier. Some say that it's 8 o'clock Eastern time. Would you confirm that? It is 8 o'clock uh, West Coast time. It is 11 o'clock in the East. And we say it every day. They say, so when do you tape this thing? I said, it's live. Yeah. It's live across the country. And you love it, right? Days. Congratulations. It's a great show. I think we have kind of picked up the pace. And our whole goal is not as much to inform you, but to keep you up, to keep right. you awake, Brian. That's our that's our, our mantra. How glad are you that you don't have to do a handshake toss from Gutfeld? Uh, so glad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would love it. I mean, you know, I'm, in fact, I'm going on Gutfeld's show today, tonight. I know it's big, a big mistake. What are you but thinking? I, you know, I, I'm here, so I figure why not just jump in the alligator pit and, and give it a shot. So. And you're doing outnumbered, too. I'm doing outnumbered, too, which, uh, which is going to be fun, right? I can't believe it. Right. No, that, that show has been a big hit, too. So, so Trace, you know, Cash was on with you last night. He was on, yeah. We, we led with Cash last night because he was great. And he makes a great point. In fact, everybody make a great point about the whole Biden indictment thing is, what are you doing now? Why are you bringing gun charges now when you could have brought the same charges five years ago? Nothing has changed. Zero information has changed. It's not like they got this new revelation of, oh, my goodness, well, the we deal forgot blew about up. this. Well, the deal blew up, but why not charge him five years ago? I mean, forget the whole sweetheart deal indictment, I mean, the, the plea deal. The whole concept here is is that you had the evidence. You could have charged, like Cash was saying, I would have charged this within a week. And nobody charged it, and the deal blows up, and all of a sudden they charge it. So why are you charging it now? What's the explanation? And we still really haven't gotten that. Was well, not been a good week for Joe Biden. No. No, it hasn't because even though the gun charge is as far away as David Weiss could possibly put Hunter Biden from his dad, it still goes down that bad road of, you know, discovery, new stuff. And every time you kind of delve deeper into the Biden family, something else comes out. Even if it's not the smoking guns, something comes out that is evidence of wrongdoing 
and evidence of some kind of shenanigans going right. on that leads people down a different path, and you never know what it's, what's at the end of that path. So Comer came out and said, look, Joe had nothing to do with this. This is the least charge. Right. Hold on tight. We right. got about 11 others. Here's what Abby Lowell said about future charges. He is the attorney for Hunter Biden Cut 6. I was involved in impeachment a couple of years ago for President Clinton, and I can tell you that whatever they're doing is only going to prove that there's no basis other than, again, catering to the right-wing screamers. Uh, that's what we'll see. I mean, already in nine months, we found out Joe didn't tell the truth about not knowing anything about his son's business dealings. Mm-hmm. He sat in on him. Right. Uh, he was on the phone 10, 20 times with him, minimum. Right. And then we also know, uh, too, when he said, I have no idea what he's doing, what he's up to, we have him calling his son on voicemail saying, I think you're out of the woods with the Washington Post story. Yeah, and if you listen closely to Abby Lowell, you have Abby Lowell kind of walking this back a little bit, too, because he was asked, listen, are you still saying that that Hunter Biden had nothing to do, uh, Joe Biden had nothing to do with Hunter's business deals? And Abby Lowell is saying, listen, we, I, I don't know what's going on over on that side, but I can tell you from my side, from our client, he had nothing. He didn't share any money with his dad. He didn't share any business deals with his dad. There was no connection from our client to the White House, which is an entirely different right. narrative than we'd heard from the Biden White House. Right? And I want to get that new narrative. But how great is this? I mean, I was pointing this out. The Trump sat down with Megyn Kelly for over an hour and then he sat down with NBC's Kristen Welker yeah. for Meet the Press. And yeah. that was obviously contentious. Uh, he doesn't care. He just does it. So here's a clip. So she actually asked this question, Trace, as if to say this shows. Megan or that, Kristen? Uh, Kristen. Okay. This shows that uh, it's equal. Justice is equal. Uh, cut eight. Mr. President, can you continue to say that there are two systems of justice? Well, I think there's no question about it. He had a plea deal that was the deal of the century. Uh, the art of the deal. You could write a book on it. The art of the deal. Uh, and all of a sudden that was broken up by a judge who was able to, a brilliant judge actually, who was able to see through what was happening. And it's a sad situation. I mean, nobody should be happy about this. But she actually thought, well, mm-hmm. this equals the playing field. She'd get him on that. Does it, it, they're unmoored in the facts around them and right. where this is heading. Right. And by the way, I think it's a great idea for a book, The Art of the Deal. I mean, I think somebody It'll should come up work. with that. No, no yeah, no, maybe no, no, no. not. But it, but it's, it seems like a catchy Yeah, I just, catchy want, title. I just want to push back on Yeah, that. I mean, the, the, I just, I'm amazed, Ryan. I mean, you know, people talk about why shouldn't he go in the debate? Well, he was pointing out last night, why would I go in the debate? Nixon didn't go in the debate. You know, some of these people who were guaranteed to win, they weren't going to go in the debate because they were so far ahead. And it's a good point, but it doesn't matter because he could go in the debate, he could stand there and not say a word, and then he would still go up three points. He can go on. Point, he Kelly. went up four points. He went up four points. That's the whole thing is is Trump is now at six. The latest poll, Trump's at 67, and you have the rest of them, DeSantis and Ramos. They're either running in place, Brian, or they're running backwards. They just cannot gain any traction. And he sits there and does these things and goes on social media yeah. and continues to resonate. And you're thinking people, are, people are, are latching on to something they think is wrong in this country, and they think that he's the elixir. So, Trace. I'm sure you noticed there's been quite a few Democrats who suddenly realize that Joe Biden is old. Yeah. yeah. And that Vice President Harris, not good. Right. How, yeah. how, why all of a sudden are people realizing this? Because the, the, the clock is ticking and, the, and they're getting closer to the election and they see the numbers and they see when 70 percent of the population 
doesn't like the economy, it's a problem. And when you have, you know, even Democrats, 60 plus saying, yep, he's too old, including from his own party. And they're taking little kind of snipes and side shots at him on all of these different shows. You know that they are looking for a remedy, an alternative. And right now there just doesn't appear to be a good remedy. But they all recognize the thing that we recognized two years ago, which is he's not fit for this position. Right. Uh, I thought this was hysterical. Jamie Raskin, the day after Anderson Cooper can't get Nancy Pelosi to say that Kamala Harris is a good vice president. Then we have this. Cut 21. Do you think Kamala Harris is the best running mate for President Biden? That's President Biden's (laughs) choice. And I think she's an excellent running mate uh, for President Biden. Um, You know, I don't know what more needs to be said about that. I actually think it's a pretty simple question. Do you think Kamala Harris is the best running mate for President Biden? Yes or no? I mean, I don't know what else I can say other than she you would say be yes. an excellent running mate and an excellent <laughs> vice president. Um, I don't know whether President Biden has named his uh, running mate. We're going to a convention uh, next summer. It's, uh, uh, you know, a year away from now. Um, and we're going to go through that process. What the hell is going on? Why? We're going to nominate a vice president in the summer of next year, really? Yeah, it's just not going to happen. And I think Jamie Raskin must go home at night thinking, why are they putting me doing – every single day I have to say something to cover somebody's backside, and I'm always the guy that do it. I look ridiculous, whether it's, you know, whether it's Devin Archer coming in and testifying, and I've got to go out there and say, nope, Deb, nothing wrong with that thing, or whether they're asking me about Vice President Kamala Harris. They know the answers. Everybody knows the answer is obvious, that she is not the person. And that her her ratings are lower than the president's ratings, which is saying something because he's at 41 percent. She's down at 39 percent. These are historic lows. And they send these people out to try and back him up. Right. And they can't. I mean, without saying, yep, she's the best. You can't do it. So you try to you try but to kind of work around can it. do it. You can. I mean, you can. And you say, yeah, she's doing great. I, mean, I know she is so smart. Yeah, she's that's what I thought. Unless you want her out. Right. She they go. We can't move Joe. But we move her. To reassure the American people that when Joe resigns after he wins the election, yeah. we got somebody else there. Right now, everybody knows that she can't do the job, especially Democrats. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's a great point because everybody knows that Kamala Harris is a liability. The question becomes, uh, how in the world do you separate from Kamala Harris and bring somebody else in? How do you do that? How do you navigate that? How does Joe Biden? I mean, does Joe Biden decide he's going to preemptively uh, pardon his son? Right. And then say, OK, I'm out of the race. I'm going to pardon my son. I'm going to I'm going to let somebody else take the mantle. Who knows what's going to happen in the next three or four or five months? But but I'll tell you, something's going to happen. Somebody is going to come on the scene who is a, a bold person in the Democratic Party and say, you know what, it's it's time to move on, right. and they're going to make a decision. I think someone has to pressure Joe to step aside. I, think I, so I don't think there'll be a Ted Kennedy uh, situation or Barack Obama, the insurgency campaign over no. Hillary. No, no. So, you mean you hear things? Oh, Michelle Obama's going to run? No, this is these are. She's not. never said that. No, and that's what I'm saying is it, these are all. This is nothing. This is fictitious. Right. What's going to happen is some major player is going to say, "Okay, we need to have a talk." And whether whether we go forward and Joe Biden does something, you know, where he comes out and says, "You know, I've decided that in the best interest of my family and blah, 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 I'm going to stand behind so and so and so and so." My intention was always to be a four-year president. That was the thing. My intention was to get it away from 
from those MAGA extremists. And I've done that. I've achieved my goal. I'm the greatest president who's ever lived. And I'm going to step aside and I'm going to go to. But the Delaware. minute he says that, it becomes invisible. So right. he'll wait right. for that for the longest of course. time. So here's Dave Ignatius. He didn't just stop at Joe Musco. Cut uh, 24. This combination of Joe Biden at the top of the ticket um, and the polls show people feel uneasy about somebody uh, who's 82 serving another four-year term. Um, that The combination of that and people's uneasiness is reflected in polls uh, about about the vice president succeeding him. Time is running out. In another month, this, this could, it's going to be too late to have this conversation. So uh, I, I thought <laughs> b- b- before it was locked in stone, it was worth at least raising. And he went on to say the American people have not embraced Kamala Harris. She has attributes. We just haven't yeah. seen them. Yeah. And I think what what the biggest read of all of this is, is all of these Democrats are kind of looking at the new polls and they're actually seeing that Trump's moving up and he's not only moving up against his own party, Brian, he's moving up against Joe Biden. And that's the whole thing is they had Biden up by three or four points a couple of months ago. Right. And now they are dead even. And in six months or eight months, it might be Trump up by five. So their biggest fear right. is that all of this stuff, all of these indictments, all of these things, we're going to give Trump the nomination, right, <clears throat> but not give him the presidency because Biden could beat him again. Now the thinking is not only have they given him the nomination, but they've given him a leg up on Joe Biden. And that's the most dangerous thing in the world in their estimation. So right now, head to head, Trump beats Biden by two on the Fox poll. Right. Head to head. uh Vivek Ramaswamy beats Biden. Head-to-head, Nikki Haley beats Biden. And so does Mike Pence, all in the margin of error. Right. And that's the whole thing is when you see they're all beating Joe Biden. I mean, listen, some of those things you can think, well, <laughs> I think if you really had Mike Pence going against Joe Biden, it's going to be it's going to be a battle. Right. I, I just I'm, I'm, I have a hard time believing that Mike Pence is going to beat. I have a hard time believing that that uh, Vivek Ramaswamy is going to beat Joe Biden. But I have uh, an easy time believing that Nikki Haley could beat the president. I have an easy time believing that the former president could beat the current president. So, I mean, so the polls are the polls are shifting. That's the big news for the Democrats is the polls are shifting and they are starting to get very concerned because because we're not even into the heart of the campaign. If they're shifting now in the in the pregame, if you're doing the pregame and the polls are shifting, when game time comes, those polls could shift even faster, and then there's no way to get right. out of it. Trace Gallagher is here. When we come back, we find out if Trace needs to know more. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we are back. Trace Gallagher's here in from Los Angeles. Uh, we did not pay for his travel, but we are taking advantage of the fact that he is in studio. His show is every night at 11 o'clock, uh, Fox News at night. And uh, tell you what, uh, Trace, you're going to be on One Nation this weekend. It airs for the first time in a new slot at 9 p.m. Love it. Right after Mark Levin. Love it. One Nation, by the way, is paying for dinner tonight at Del Frisco's. Yeah, so well, I'm happy uh, about that. Is that so eight, Allison, can you confirm that? Is that, that is on our budget? <laughs> yeah, okay. it's going to be good. But right. there's a t- apparently, there's a two glass of wine minimum on One Nation. For you. I'm just, yeah, I, I didn't know it was across Only the board. Only for hosts. Got yes. It. Hey, down. let's find out if there's more to know. Okay. More to know. All right, so uh, Trace, I'll begin. Uh, so here we go. This guy tells the story of going to Los Angeles 
to a party mm-hmm. and tell me since you live there if this is if this happens a lot. He said when I arrived for the party, a naked woman holding a glass of wine filled with hibiscus tea greeted me at the door. Inside, I could see everybody was naked, 15 people in the backyard. He asked, should I take my clothes off? Uh, she said yes, and he did, and he felt comfortable. Your reaction? I, I don't know where this guy's been. Every party I've been to in the past two years is, is naked. Is that true? Everybody just did. So I, why even I haven't been to a clothing party in, in God knows how long. Listen, yeah. I like to see my wife rock around the house naked a little bit, Brian. Beyond that, I don't want to see anybody naked. I don't mm. want to see any. I don't want to see my friend. Right. I don't want to see you. I don't want to see anybody walking around naked, and I'm not sure the whole world wants to see me walking around naked. So if I get to the door and they say, listen, drop clothes over there, I don't want to take my shoes off uh, when I go to somebody's right. house. Right. Uh, I said I was among 26 people who paid $150 to experience a foodie. Is that how you say it? Uh, a foodie plant-based gathering and invites people to leave their inhibitions <laughs> and self-doubt and clothing behind. I would eat a lot more than just tea. Why can't they just spell it F-O-O-D-I-E if you're going to do foodie? What is this F-U-D-E? Food. Food. I, I know. I'm not sure. Naked. Next. That's naked. Tell Sorry. me the next story on your list. The next story is uh, public parking spot leads to heated fight between homeowners. Driver rudest blank starts with an S, ends with a T. I've ever seen Steve Haas is visiting a friend in Santa Clarita, California, when he found a note from a neighbor that read, please do not park in front of our home. Thank you. I'm parked at my homeboy's crib, and I get this letter. So I went and knocked on the door and asked why. It's a public street, and he says she owns this parking spot. She owns it. Listen, when you're in California, Brian, the whole concept here is parking is tough. Everybody's got a car, sometimes two cars. And if there's a spot on your street that you park every night, you own it. The other thing is, do you feel it's rude to park right in front of somebody's house anyway? Never. Unless you, you park will. in their driveway. I I don't want to park in your driveway, but if you're right in front of the house and the curb is open, I'm parking there. You go to athletic events for your kids and you're in neighborhoods, right. you park there. Next. All right. Get this. And I don't know if this happens in the L.A. Bureau. Five on one and done. Uh, patients for one uh, for after hour work socializing is wearing thin. After initial burst of post pandemic happy hours, people are now going home. U.S. workers say they're trying to draw thicker lines between work and rest. Uh, so this is a study that's done. Is this a good trend? Uh, I think the trend is based on the fact that nobody works a five-day work, work week anymore. So, in essence, you're already partying three or four nights a week because you're only working a couple of days. And then when you get to work, your, your cohorts are saying, hey, let's go have a drink. And you're thinking, listen, I'm drinking seven nights a week. Uh, I can't do this anymore. Trace, people. that's a theory. I have another one. Well, people get in so much trouble these days about, you know, the accusations yeah. and scandals and being canceled. Yeah. They might be saying, do I need this? And I think that the last uh, theory on this is that Uber rides are now like 100 bucks to go a mile. So it wow. doesn't matter. In California, you pick up an Uber or a Lyft. It's expensive, and nobody wants to go out drinking and take an Uber. Bill Maher has announced his show's coming back without writers. How big a story is this in Los Angeles? Drew Barrymore, too. Uh, Drew Barrymore, I'm not really sure about. I, I, I think, did she, does she have writers? She's <laughs> coming back. Yeah, okay, she's coming back. I mean, maybe it'll be better without the writers. I, I have no idea. But is this strike a big deal in Los Angeles? Uh, it's a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal because it's an entertainment-focused industry. Yeah. I mean, that's the city is kind of built around that for the most part. It used to be aeronautics. Now it's uh, now it's entertainment. And I think. See you, yes. Trace. Thanks, Brian. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. I'm Brian Kilmeade. I'm so glad you're here. Brian Kilmeade Show, final hour of the week. So glad you've been here all week long. 
it's not been a great week for the President of the United States, no doubt about it. He's got an indictment inquiry, and now he's got, a, he's got an impeachment inquiry, and now he's got an indictment to deal with. I'm going to talk about the economy that the president's proud of, but the American people, he's underwater. He's under 40% approval. David Bonson on that. And Shannon Bream, fresh off a one-year anniversary, doing a great job on Fox News Sunday. But first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I like the idea of really going after the source of the problem. But if you don't change your asylum rules, they're going to keep coming. If you can get to our border and put one foot in the United States, you never get deported. (laughs) Uh, getting worse. The border is seeing record numbers with the latest surge from Africa. Dems are joining Republicans expressing peril and outrage, but no one is doing anything at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Number two. Do you think Kamala Harris is the best running mate for President Biden? That's President Biden's choice. I actually think it's a pretty simple question. I mean, I don't know what else I can say other than she you would say be yes. an excellent running mate. Yeah. Why is that a hard question? New polls, Fox polls, show a trend away from Biden and to Trump and many Republicans. It's causing panic on the left. And maybe that's why they are no longer endorsing Kamala Harris, because they can't get rid of Joe, but they can't get rid of her. Number one. That's one of about a dozen crimes that Hunter Biden's committed. And ironically, that's the one crime that he committed that you cannot tie Joe Biden into. We'll see what happens with the other 11 or so crimes that uh, the president's son's committed. Yeah, and that is Jamie Comer. Uh, We're talking about the gun charge. He's indicted on the same charge, on one charge that Joe had nothing to do with. So let's get to the truth on taxes. Let's get to the truth on overseas business dealings and seeing how much we got for the big guy. Uh, The big woman joins us now. She's not a big woman, but she's powerful. That's what I mean by big. 1106 is my guest, Shannon Bream. Hey, Shannon. Are, Are you referring to my bench press? Yes. Or my squats. I don't know. What do you do? Do you do both? I do, unfortunately, because of the mean trainer I paid to make me do them. Do you do free weights or you do one of those machine free weights? I prefer free weights myself. What about you? Is it a man? Yes. Okay. So I let him yell at me and tell me to do stuff. Really? (laughs) It's good. He doesn't yell. He's actually very good. Does he live with you? He does not. That's a strange question to ask. By the way, though, during COVID, when we couldn't go to the gym, he would come and in our driveway would set up all of these workout stations. And we would just, it didn't matter if it was 30 degrees, we would just work out outside. Right. And you paid him. Yes, I do. I pay him for the privilege of making me do stuff. That is great. Uh, First off, your reaction. Uh, Maybe you could help me with this. First off, earlier in the week, the impeachment inquiry. I can't see exactly what changed. Maybe you, the lawyer, could. Well, I I think it's just the formal launch of this with, you know, the speaker giving it his full formal pledge of, all right, let's move this thing forward. So you've got the three committees, obviously all controlled by Republicans at this point in the House, that are each going to have their lane that they're going to handle, ways and means and oversight and judiciary. Um, They've all got prongs. They say they can work together well, and they're committed to doing it, and now they have the speaker's blessing. So what changes? They're still in their committees. We're not seeing any Mm -hmm. impeachment. I don't necessarily have any power, right? 
Well, they will have subpoena power. Um, they had some of that anyway as committee chairs and as committee, you know, leaders. So, you know, what this does is formalizes it. So the White House has said this whole time, like, we want to work with you, we want to do documents. You know, McCarthy's kind of calling their bluff, like, well, no, you didn't work with us. And so these committees are now going to have the power to, to handle this as an impeachment inquiry. And most people believe in Washington, like, once you start that, there's really only one way that it ends, which is probably in an impeachment trial. You know, and people wonder here in Washington, do you spend all that political capital? Because it's going nowhere in the Senate. But is the whole purpose of it to have a juxtaposition of, okay, President Trump is sitting in all these various trials. He's in these courtrooms. He's being dragged in there during the campaign year. All right, we're going to drag the current president, which is probably going to be his head-to-head competitor, so that people can watch these two different trials and see two men who have some real issues to deal with as they try to get back to the White House. Usually the issues were psychological and emotional. Our issues are actually legal now. Um, <laughs> and is, I think maybe some of the other. Yes. Okay. Uh, Shannon, what about this letter that Fox News Digital got that the White House issued a memo that urged mm-hmm. news outlets to ramp up scrutiny on the impeachment inquiry on Republicans? The White House memo included a 14-page fact check of Republican claims made throughout the Biden investigation. It went to the New York Times, CNN, other outlets. That's unbelievable to me. Is it to you? not surprising. They have been bracing for this. I think they knew this was a very strong possibility and that it was coming, um, and they want to make their case. And so they're going directly to the media. Um, You know what it reminded me of? If you remember years ago, uh, I don't think that Vice President Harris was on the ticket yet, but she was running. And we got this memo from all these groups that said, we're going to be watching you, and if you criticize her, it's sexist and it's racist, and we're going to call you out. This this memo they sent to the media. So it kind of made me feel like that, like somebody else wants to Tell us how to do our jobs. You right. Know? Uh, crazy. Uh, so yesterday we found out about another problem Joe Biden has. It was expected. Hunter Biden's gun charge. He uh, had a gun. He bought it and, and filled out a form saying he had no drug problem. He had no criminal past. And he had the drug. And we later find out that uh, his girlfriend at the time who was Bo's former wife. He mm-hmm. passed away. Uh, she got nervous. He was going to kill himself reportedly. And she threw it in a dumpster. When he got word on that, evidently the Secret Service dug it out. Obviously a carnival of a drug-addicted life. Got it. So yesterday he was charged. But James Comer said, are you kidding me? This is nothing. Cut one. That's one of about a dozen crimes that Hunter Biden's committed. And ironically, that's the one crime that he committed that you cannot tie Joe Biden into. So we'll see what happens with the other 11 or so crimes that – the president's son's committed. So what's next? Well, remember, every time we've pressed for answers about is this it, is there more to it, remember when the, when the parties, the DOJ and Hunter Biden and his team were in court, there was conversation about, oh, no, there's ongoing investigation. There's something else. So is it the FARA violations? Would there be allegations that there's something nefarious with the way that, you know, foreign governments are being represented by Hunter or foreign entities or foreign money flowing in? We just can't get a straight answer, but we are continually told there's more. Like, this is not a closed investigation. So, Listen, the statute of limitations is run on a lot of the tax charges. So we've got the gun thing now, but are there other avenues that Justice Department is pursuing? We've been led to believe there is something else. Yes. And what would that something else be, knowing that he could file in Los Angeles? 
Yeah, well, again, does it get to him improperly registering to represent foreign entities? Is it something like that? Um, you know, critics of Hunter Biden will say that laptop was full of all kinds of things that they would like to dig further into. At the same time, you know, White House defenders and Democrats will say, you've been searching, you found no smoking gun that directly ties President Biden to any, you know, illegal transactions or to being fully involved in Hunter's business. So they say they feel confident moving forward that impeachment is going to look like nothing but politics. Well, here's his attorney. Uh, he does not think that this is anything. This is this is all politics. Cut for this office has never brought a charge like this against anybody. When they are bringing this charge, it's either because somebody has had the gun in the commission of a crime. Mm -hmm. They have bought multiple guns. They are a straw purchaser for somebody else or they're a felon in possession. That none of that is, is true about Hunter Biden. Is it unusual to to hear to get a charge like this? It's not common, but if you will read what our buddy Andy McCarthy has written up on this in the last day or two, he says, actually, more of these things should be charged. I mean, the laws are on the books. If we're not charging them, that's one thing. Um, and so, yes, this is not something that happens every single day, but it is, um, you know, in complete agreement with the law and what's on the papers. You remember Again, back in July, when they had that hearing before the judge, when she started to sort of ask questions and the things started to fall apart, she said, yeah, I've had people who are struggling with addiction who've come through with charges on these issues. So she was kind of seeming to say it. And she said, I'm not trying to tell you how to do your job, but I have seen, you know, cases that are similar in some ways to this one, kind of suggesting you can't just say he was an addict, he was out of control, this thing happened, and it doesn't get charged. Um, sometimes it does. And this time it did. Who's on your show this weekend? I have got Elise Stefanik and Ro Khanna, so both sides of the aisle represented in the House as they have the impeachment fight, the spending fights, so are we headed to a government shutdown. Lots to talk about with them. We'll also have Vivek Ramaswamy with us as some new polls. Um, he's very happy about them, although everybody is a long way back um, from right. President Trump. So what does it mean? He's got some foreign policy stuff that people feel is pretty controversial, so we'll dig into that. And never, not to mention here in D.C., his very unpopular position that he's going to get rid of, you know, a million federal workers. Wow. Uh, so here we go. Now, you're going to watch this over the next few weeks, a Democratic attack on seemingly this ticket, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, mm -hmm. Dave mm -hmm. Ignatius, Joe Scarborough. Right. I'm watching CNN talk about a list of all Joe Biden's lies. And then they know Harris would be the next mm -hmm. up. And there's a problem with that. Jamie Raskin went after him, and listen to Nancy Pelosi. Mm. Is Vice President Kamala Harris the best running mate for this president? He thinks so, and that's what matters. And by the way, think so? she's very politically astute. I don't think people give her enough credit. People shouldn't underestimate what Kamala Harris brings to the table. But do you think she is the, the best running mate, though? She's the vice president of the United States. So when people say to me, well, why isn't she doing this or that? I said, because she's the vice president. That's the job description. You don't do that much. What? <laughs> what That's an interesting take. Right. I, mean, I do think that we all know the vice presidents get their really difficult sort of intractable assignments. They do often, regardless of party. They get stuff that's hard to get done. But, but the fact that she would not endorse her and say right. that she's the future and— well, her ratings, as we all know, are worse than the president's, and he has not had good ratings through the vast majority of the You're not surprised, Shannon? You weren't shocked when you saw that? 
What? Which one? That Nancy Pelosi said, uh, not really into the vice president. No, no, no. I do think for her to be publicly doing that in the leadership role that she's in is like, well, she's on the ticket. She's the current vice president. He (laughs) thinks she's the best Uh, option. You know, that's not a ringing endorsement. But Democrats know they've got a problem there. So what do they do? I mean, like you mentioned, David Ignatius' piece, he wasn't just saying President Biden shouldn't run. He was also, he went to that next level and said, yeah, not not the vice president either. So we're going to watch you on Sunday. Uh, We moved our spot. Saturday. But now I'm at nine o'clock. Does yes, that make it easier? Place. Yeah. Does that make it easier for you? My my DVR is set no matter what. Now I go to bed earlier, but I'm going to try to still watch most of your show before I go to bed. But you're DVRing it, right? So I always have a backup. Great. So you, do you have people over when I'm on? And do you have make it like a big party? I do, but then it's sort of hard to get them out of the house. Ah. I'm like, I got to go to bed because I'm getting up at four o'clock, which is sleeping in for Brian Kilmeade. I know by ninety minutes. All right, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shannon. Have a great show. Congratulations on a great year. Thank you, my friend. See you Saturday, then see you Sunday. Go get them. Bye. Back in a moment. Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. All right, we're back. Chaos in New York. And I'm not going to make the mistake I did yesterday. I got sent my email from people from Arizona saying, Brian, stop saying that you're in the epicenter and the target point for this illegal immigrant problem. Listen, you're right. Arizona, you got it worse. You're getting 2,000 dumped into your cities every day, 7,000 in Texas. Okay, having said that, when they leave the border cities, this is the worst. And it got so bad at Roosevelt Hotel here, there was a press conference with AOC and others, and counter-protesters showed up, and people are strewn everywhere. The Roosevelt Hotel was shuttered. They opened it up. People don't work. They just live there. They have three meals a day there. There's chaos going on. We have nowhere to put these people, and there's no answers. And AOC has been invisible. Chuck Schumer, MIA. Listen to what just went down. But I think these are folks that will take New York City to a better place. Every crisis presents great opportunity. There's hope and opportunity in this building. So I wanted to thank all my colleagues for coming. As you can see, this is a contentious issue. But we are all Americans, and we all believe in the American dream. That's the common denominator here, the American dream. We believe in it, and we will fight for it. With that? Yes. They are prevented from getting jobs. They are prevented from employment. And that is part of the strain on our public systems. The faster that folks can access the work that they're asking for legally, the better we can solve this problem. And the third is extension of temporary protected status for Venezuelans who are the largest population that are arriving here. So with that, we thank you all. And ready to wrap up? Wow. In New York City. As bright blue as it gets, they're screaming, close the border. She actually says, just get us more money and also let them work. The problem. 
of giving them ability to work is that if you just up the magnitude of the magnet, will be people will be coming from everywhere. You think it's bad right now? It'll be off the charts. That's the time. That's the type of short. Uh, that's the type of short scope thinking that will totally make things worse. And she's terrible. She was down at the border, dressed in all white, screaming as people are in cages. And guess what we saw in Arizona? We have illegal immigrants in wired fences because we have nowhere to put them in the middle of an open field. Is that the cages that Barack Obama claimed that Donald Trump put everybody in when it was really him? Those are cages that had AOC crying uh, three years ago. No, there were fences to control the same way they were back then. It is insane, which has taken place in New York. And I'll tell you, uh, I just love it because it's their policies that started it. Eric Adams got blamed by the White House, says you have no long-term plan. Listen to this, cut 33. It is ridiculous to say Eric Adams is anti-immigrant. Uh, of my administration is reflective of probably the most <laughs> diverse uh, group of, of first-time uh, first generation. Uh, it's ridiculous to state that Eric and his team has not been on the forefront. Here he goes on, cut 34. I think it is an embarrassment and it's an insult to the hardworking New Yorkers in government and New Yorkers. New York City taxpayers and uh, civil servants have carried the burden of a global issue on our backs alone for the most part it is not a global issue it is an american issue and you are dumping people everywhere the latest place was staten island cut 35 veto for sala we are here to ask the judge in this case to do what the mayor and the governor have not and that is hear us out to hear our case as to why st john villa academy is the worst possible location for a migrant shelter. We need to have accountability in this process, and we have not received any from the city of New York. We've said this multiple times, and I'll say it again. I am the son of immigrants. My parents came here for the American dream. They worked hard, and they achieved it. We are not anti-immigration. Right, and you can't just dump people in a uh, borough without telling them, especially when it's not equipped to handle the illegal immigrants. Back in a moment. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. In terms of the trend in inflation, I think we probably have a disagreement there as well. Uh, The trend in the uh, PCE, the trend in the CPI, whether you look at headline or core, and in fact, well, it's not here anymore, but that graph that was just there showed a very clear trend in the year-over-year CPI. If you take the more timely, say, uh, uh, three-month annualized average, uh, then you see uh, an even clearer uh, result. Uh, Inflation is easing. It continues to ease. Is that the case? David Bonson's here from the Bonson Group. Uh, you know, he's a managing partner and chief investment officer of the Bonson Group. David, well, good to see you. Want to get a real economic expert in. I think Jared Bernstein does a good job communicating, but is he working with the right numbers? Well, look, when it comes to the issue of inflation, it's a trickier one. There's so many data points that they're lying about, they're distorting, that are truly negative in the economy. If he's simply stating, as a matter of fact, the rate of inflation's come way down, that's obviously true. 
what's ironic is the one thing that's holding it up right now is energy prices, which is probably the only thing they actually have control over. See, I've, I, I'm really critical of the administration for a lot of things economically. I never believed the inflation was mostly their fault. I think it was partially their fault. Even the big spending stuff, really, I've always said, and I said it on your show before, I thought the bulk of the inflation came from them shutting down the economy and then reopening it. Demand was normal and supply wasn't, and that pushed prices up. And then Biden did things to make it worse. I think labor shortage was a big problem. But now the energy thing is fascinating to me because you have food prices that are year over year flat. You have many categories used auto prices, for example, are uh, deflated. And yet they can't take any credit for it because the energy prices have gone up. And now at $90 oil, you're looking at much higher gas prices. Do you think that the rescue package, the infrastructure package, do you think the Inflation Reduction Act played a significant role? You don't think it played a significant role in the inflation that we're experiencing? The Inflation Reduction Act, which came after the inflation had been there, played no role in reducing inflation. No, that's what I mean. Do you think it added to the inflation? I don't think it added to the inflation. I think a lot of people believe that the first spending bill, which was the that $2,000 that President Trump wanted to do, that Biden ended up doing. And I thought it was completely ridiculous. It was in April of 21, and they added $1,400 a month to people's pockets. There was a whole lot of money sloshing around. And if we're just being fair, a bunch of it was before this administration, a bunch of it was after, and I think a bunch of it was reckless. But the inflation to me was really because of a shortage of goods and services. And so that part is to me a bit more nuanced. The problem I have with what he's saying is binomics, as a, uh, to define it as a success, we have to know what its goals are. And it seems to me the United Auto Workers would say it isn't a success, he's a, and he's the most friendly union president in history. What is it that they're after that would determine it's a success? Real wages are down. That's the standard for a presidency. It has been. 100% of the time when real wages grow, presidents get reelected. 100% of the time when they don't, presidents don't. So I think median income has lost four thousand dollars from it went it went down it went from uh, seven was it seventy four to seventy real real median income meaning yeah. net of inflation right but the average person I guess seventy four yeah. down to, uh, down four thousand dollars so these guys uh, this whole auto uh, strike now we have one hundred and fifty thousand auto workers who are threatening to strike and they're doing a I guess wave strike they're going to pick different plants in order to do that. So it's yeah. already begun because these two are that, far, are that far apart. How much of this seems to be about the EV? Well, it's a huge part of it, and it also is the part that is going to become the biggest problem for President Biden because it's the solution, right? He can really pacify the upset blue-collar workers in the unions that are so frustrated. They probably could accept the awful offer of a 20% pay increase, they're turning down a 20% pay increase. They probably could accept that without all these EV things lingering. Who is President Biden going to make upset, AOC or the unions? Because he's going to have to pick. Well, yeah, and a lot of these uh, – the EVs, for example, Ford, are deciding to open up their plants in right-to-work states. Uh, so this where they can avoid the union situation. And it's a different skill set to build batteries and cars as opposed to the the horrible combustion engines. Yeah, well, and so that's exactly what Musk has done, although he seems to be catching uh, all of them, right, Nevada and Texas. I mean, you see where where Tesla's gone, but I think it's the big automakers that aren't yet really that present in the electric vehicle space that want to grow significantly, that are being told they have to grow significantly, that have mandates to basically get out of combustion engine, as you say. 
they're not going to do more of that in, in these uh, non-right-to-work states. They will grow in the places it makes the most sense to do business. So the, there's a real pickle here. Now, look, if I were trying to solve it, I'd have enemies too. It's just that they're natural enemies, right? Like, in other words, the people that wouldn't much like me anyways, um, the, whether it's the radical environmentalist or, or whatnot. Yeah. He, President Biden's problem is that uh, – and the whole left is in a, a pickle here because they're going to have to pick between a natural constituency and another natural constituency. They're not going to please both of them. All right. Here's more from Jared Bernstein. He has no problem with his oil production. Cut 45. Gas prices are a large part of the increase we saw in the CPI. Then why is the president then restricting uh, future growth of the oil industry? Uh, he made the decision in or the Interior Department made the decision in Alaska just last week. Well, there are uh, American American oil production now is at an all time high, uh, just below 13 million barrels a day. Uh, there are thousands of uh, available permits, places where oil companies could drill. They've been highly profitable. They've been highly productive. So um, I don't think that's the problem. Yeah, you know what they do, and i got to be honest, there's always a little bit of truth. It's not like a total outright no, I lie. Agree. I agree. But then it's a spin because, first of all, getting up to like 12.7 million a day ignores the fact that they were running at 10 and a half, 11. They were running a couple million below for a while. And now it has come higher, but trend line, that's an all-time high, but trend line is nowhere near. We to to price demand and supply accordingly. We need to be about thirteen and a half, maybe fourteen. And I know that's true because Biden told me when he went to Saudi Arabia, begged them to produce more. And when he went to Venezuela, wanted them to produce more. So the Biden administration knows they need more production. They've not denied that. They've gone to enemies of the United Somebody States else. and asked them to do it. How crazy is it? It's that? crazy. It's nuts. And we do it cleaner. We, well, we definitely do it cleaner. We definitely do it with more economic leverage, but we also do it with more geopolitical leverage. So it represents a kind of hedge against the autocratic control of Middle Eastern enemies and Russia. Refineries are an issue, correct? Issue. And there is a refinery, I think, in the Caribbean that we could unmothball and get going. Yeah, and and we could also start. You know, part of the problem with the politics is Brian, is we talk about things, and like I want you and I want to criticize them, like go do this tomorrow. But you know, they it takes years in advance. That's the big issue at Keystone. They said, well, it's not taking any oil offline. Well, okay, but we're talking about years down the line. Do markets look forward or look day to day? They're forward looking mechanisms. But what Jared Bernstein did not address is Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Oil is uh, $90.68 a barrel right now. It was $67 a barrel for a couple months just five minutes ago. And they didn't buy – they bought back 3 million barrels out of 300 million, okay? There's a massive need to refill Strategic Petroleum Reserve. The only reason oil prices came down even from above 100 back down to 70 was because of what they were manipulating with SPR, and they did nothing to refortify that. So they have left our energy policy in a very precarious position, and this has massive, like you said, environmental, but also geopolitical and certainly economic implications. So I was uh, a couple of people who own um, who own dealerships had written me and said, "Do you realize how devastating it's going to be if these uh, these auto uh, if this strike continues? It's a basically yeah. rippling now. It's a wave." And he says, "You know, we already had a hard time getting new cars. Then we got cars, but they weren't ready because they were missing chips, the supply chain. And then people finally up to speed, along with 
the shutdown of new vehicles will be the transport the transports too. So they're not even going to be able to get anything transported to them on top of that. So in all those dealerships across the country, that's going to make a huge difference. Jim Farley, who has been front and center for Ford, he's a really good face for them. This is what he said about the current situation, Cut 38. There's no way we can pay people $300,000 to work four-day work weeks. We would have lost $15 billion and closed you know, most of our plants in the last couple of years. That's not a future. So we're not going to do a deal like that. There's a, a different line, a line in between those two things. And, but you can't negotiate with yourself. And he says up until they didn't even get a counterproposal. Last Friday he was on with me saying this is my proposal. It's lots better than everything else. Didn't get anything back. Yeah, I think it's important I, for myself as a movement conservative. I got to remember here, as critical as I am of the Biden administration for the fact that this position's happening and they've pretended to be this grid union, you know, wand uh, holder. The fact of the matter is that unions are being completely unreasonable, and that's the history with automotive. They don't care. They put them into bankruptcy once. Uh, they're both basically were companies that existed to pay legacy benefits, retirement and pension and employee uh, health benefits. Now, in this case, the requirements, uh, the margins aren't there. You add to that the EV pressure and those that are trying to destroy the business the automakers are in. Jim at Ford is right, and I appreciate him being willing to stand up and defend himself. They're they're all in a precarious position. Uh, they they need to negotiate, and yet, um, honestly, the party they're negotiating with is being unreasonable. He also says if you shut a plant down, we can't just turn it back on. Cut no. 39. Just because a plant goes down doesn't mean it's going to come back up quickly. Uh, sometimes it takes <clears> days <throat> or weeks to for a plant to come back up. We learned this from COVID, actually. And uh, so this could be very destructive for the business, but also the UAW may get surprised along the way because it takes a long time for a plant to come up to speed. Now, we learned that from COVID with the plants. And by the way, back to our other topic on energy, we learned it with oil rigs. See, so Bernstein, Bernstein is saying, you know, we, we can get this production back up. You shut rigs down. Rig, 40% of rigs are closed this year. All right. Uh, you, you don't just flick a switch and turn them back on. That production takes time to ramp back up. All right. We're going to take a short time, uh, time out. David Bonson's here. Uh, David, uh, stick around. We've got a few more questions. And also uh, look at where our economy is going right now is 34 percent approval rating amongst the American people, not Democrats or Republicans, American people, even though the president's running on it. What is he looking at? Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We now have two inflation ports in a row where year over year the headline inflation number has gone up. You couple that with um, real average hourly wages are actually down since the day President Biden took office about 3%. So is that Bidenomics? Yeah, no, I, I, I think we have a disagreement on a fact there. So, And, and we can certainly uh, show you uh, CEA's data on this. Uh, real wages uh, are up relative to before the pandemic. Um, they're up for all private sector workers, and uh, you know those wages are actually uh, above the pre-pandemic level in real terms. So we just have a factual uh, disagreement there. You know what? It's not a factual disagreement. He, what he just did there is so weird. I was talking about this on Cudlow's show yesterday. Why is he saying since before the pandemic? 
He wasn't president for over a year later. He's starting the, the game well before he was president. Real wages are down since he became president. Uh, they're down significantly since the pre-pandemic high. And then he's taking an arbitrary date, right. which is, I believe he's using February of 2020, a year before he became president. So they're not even close to the pre-pandemic high, and they're not even back to where they were when he took office. Is it possible to grow an economy from the bottom up? Well, it depends what that means. I don't Um, know what it means. Yeah, I mean, effectively, I would say if you mean bottom up, that people wake up every day and go exchange goods and services and produce things for one another and one buys, one sells, and they do economic exchange and that creates economic growth. Well, that's certainly true. But I think that when we talk about trickle down, top down, things like that, we're referring to the fact that generally there's companies that are hiring people and so forth. There's policies that affect it. Um, mostly this is platitudes that don't make any sense, what they're saying. He said, what, bottom up, then inside out, and side in, and he used all these different things that didn't make any sense. Um, Bidenomics is going to be the most interesting political experiment in a long time because I've never seen somebody, uh, you know, like Bush ran for re-election in 04 on national security because he was pretty popular post 9-11. That kind of made sense. And and there are different themes that Obama would have used or whatever when they ran for re-election. Biden looked at his uh, approval ratings and took the lowest one and said, let's run on that. Why is that? Like, what is he seeing? Well, I'm not a conspiracy guy, so I hate saying what I'm about to say. But I do think it's not a total conspiracy. It's a little bit reasonable. But my personal guess, Brian, is that they believe the Fed's going to be accommodating going into the end of this year, early part of next year, and that right now they're going to be able to flip the narrative to say, okay, yeah, things have been a little tough, but then all of a sudden – the Fed magically starts cutting rates and loosening, and then it can help change the script. Now, even that doesn't make a lot of sense to me because we learned from Bush Sr. back in the day when he ran against Clinton, an economic uh, narrative gets baked in and doesn't go away in the year of an election. You know, like I think that the economy in 1990 had hit its low point, and by 92, Clinton was still beating up Bush with it, even though it had really improved by then. So it's a risky move, if I'm right, that that's what they're doing. But Janet Yellen is his Treasury Secretary. She was the Fed chair. The White House and this Federal Reserve have a very close relationship, a little creepy in my opinion. And I suspect that the Fed is probably going to be an ally to the White House next year. Well, and you mean cutting rates or just not touching them? Not touching them will be good enough. They're certainly not going to touch them. I can promise you that. They're not going to raise rates in the election year. 2016, they were supposed to raise four times. They raised zero. They didn't raise once. Because? Because it's an election year. and They don't want to be perceived as having their, their thumb on the scale. So they will just let rates stay at 0% for a whole other year back in 2016. Now, now, I don't know how severely they'll cut, but holding rates at 5.5% will be a form of tightening. So – the president feels as though he's got to – he even said the Inflation Reduction Act. I really named it the wrong thing. Yeah. yeah. We knew that, and people disparage you for bringing it. How dare you? No, it's going to reduce inflation. He goes, no, it's really about green energy. Is he not getting enough credit on the left for totally putting all these subsidies into green energy from wind to solar to infrastructure for electric cars? Well, it's an interesting dynamic, and I always am hesitant to speak for the left, just like I wish that they sometimes wouldn't speak for me. Uh, But, you know, um, I think that they're frustrated that Build Back Better died. 
And so even though they did get green subsidies and they Can did. Can you imagine? Oh, it would. Well, we wouldn't even be having the conversation. I mean, it would just be an absolutely impossible scenario for him to even run or even finish this term. It would have been such a disaster. And in fairness, this is what I love about the American uh, experiment. The, the reason Build Back Better didn't pass is not because we got lucky. And it certainly isn't because Biden backed down. He can take credit for deficits having come down, but they only came down because he failed, not because he succeeded. But uh, Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, Thomas Jefferson, that's why we didn't get Build Back Better, because we have a form of government that kept it from happening. Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema. That's right. And and guess who didn't do anything? Senator John Tester, all these other people claiming to be moderates. And they should hang that around their heads when it comes to running in a red state. And Tester should lose over it. But what's interesting is... Tester decided he didn't have to make the Democrats mad when it was going to fail anyways. And and I um, hate this. I had Republicans tell me that they only voted against TARP back in 08 once they knew that it had the votes to pass, things like that. I believe that um, Tester really committed an act of cowardice that he should be thrown out of office. And for. that's why she he could win there. And then you have Mike Rogers running in, in Michigan. Yeah. And that could be – and we know that – how popular Jim Justice is in West Virginia. Yeah. You got a few seats that you conceivably flip. And Justice is going to win that seat. He's up by about 20. Yeah. So that makes me think Manchin might run no labels. We'll see. He says right. he's not going to. We'll see. The Bonson Group is where you invest. David Bonson, founder, managing partner. David, great to see you. Brian Kilmichio. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.